0: Jcastnetwork.org.
1: Hello, I'm Rabbi David Rosen, and welcome to Daily Daf Differently for Daf 56 of Masechet Shabbat. Yesterday, we saw the Talmud use a discussion of Shabbat law as a launching pad for a discussion about our responsibility to speak out against wrongdoing when we see it happening. The rabbis made it clear that they don't recognize the category of innocent bystander. Whoever sees wrongdoing and fails to speak out in an effort to stop it becomes implicated in the wrongdoing, and shares responsibility for the sin. In today's DAF, the conversation about responsibility and sin continues. As usual, we'll have to back up a bit to catch up on the thread of discussion. At the bottom of page 55a, Rebbe Ami teaches, There is no death without sin, and no suffering without transgression. This is a straightforward articulation of the classical doctrine of reward and punishment, perhaps with a dash of polemics against the idea of original sin. Now, If your rabbi came out and said that no one suffers or dies except because of sin, you'd probably dismiss this as crackpot theology. Not only major things like natural disasters and the Holocaust seem to refute this, but even most of our everyday experience strongly suggests that the righteous do suffer and the wicked do prosper. Bad things happen to good people all the time. We might think of this as a modern insight, but of course anyone who's read the book of Job knows that people have been struggling with this issue since ancient times as the sages of the Talmud and the sages of the Talmud are no exception. Immediately after Rabbi Ami's statement occurs, the Gemara raises an objection. The ministering angels ask God why Moses and Aaron had to die. Weren't they totally righteous? Now, I might point out that Moses killed a guy in Egypt and Aaron helped to make the golden calf, so they don't seem like they were entirely righteous, but that's not the response on our daf. Instead, God replies to the ministering angels with a verse from the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes. All things come the same way to everyone. One event happens to both the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean, to the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice, as it happens to the righteous, so it happens to the sinner, to the one who takes an oath, as the one who fears an oath. In other words, death comes to everyone, including the righteous. Dying is no indication that a person has sinned. It's just a part of life. Rabbi Ami, or someone defending Rabbi Ami's point of view, responded to this by saying, well, actually Moses and Aaron did sin. And as proof, he cites the following verse where God addresses both Moses and Aaron together. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This exchange shows how deep the impulse is for people to believe in some form of reward and punishment. If Moses and Aaron died, they must have sinned. The Babli's remarkable story, where God personally rejects this idea and refutes the connection between sin and death, is itself refuted, at least for a moment, by the claim that Moses and Aaron died because they had sinned. The argument against theodicy from the Bavli is not over. A second attack on Rabbi Ami's position comes right after the first, Here at the top of 55b, the Gemara says, What about the tradition that four people died on account of the snake's sin, and not because of anything that they themselves did wrong? Apparently there were ancient traditions that the primordial sin of the snake in the Garden of Eden caused the death of four innocent people in subsequent generations. If that's so, then there is death without sin, and Rabbi Ami's position cannot be maintained. Significantly... The Gemara lets this refutation stand. In other words, death and sin have no necessary connection. The righteous die just like the wicked. And this God affirms not just in the story on daf, but also magnificently in the speech from the whirlwind in the book of Job. And especially the verses where God declares that Job's anger was not a sign of lack of faith, but a sign of righteousness, the opposite of what Job's friends kept on insisting. In fact, at the end of the book, God rebukes Job's friends and their simplistic theology and defends Job as his one true servant. My wrath is kindled against you and your two friends, said, says God, for you have not spoken of me, the thing that is right, as has my servant Job. Having taken up the subject of famous Bible figures and their sins, Ardaff continues with a string of statements by Rabbi Shmuel bar in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Each of these statements defends a biblical hero from charges of sinning even when the Bible itself seems to state clearly that these people have sinned. For example, the first teaching says, Rabbi Shmuel ben Nachmani says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, anyone who says Ruvain sinned is simply mistaken. Ruvain, of course, is the eldest son of Jacob, who not only masterminded the plot to sell his brother Joseph into slavery, but also seems to have slept with his father's concubine, Billah. Scripture is pretty clear that all of this happened and that Ruvain was to blame. But Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar objects to the idea that one of the heads of a tribe of Israel was a sinner, so he claims that Reuven never slept with Bilhah, but he simply moved his bed from Bilha's tent to Leah's tent after Rachel died. This, says Rabbi Shimon, is what the Bible means when it says he lay with her. It seems like a forced interpretation, but this is where the Sugil leaves it. The next teaching from Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmani in the name of Rabbi Yochanan says this, anyone who says the sons of Eli sinned is simply mistaken. The sons of Eli were Pinchas and Chophni, two awful young priests who routinely abused and exploited the people who came to bring offerings to God at Shiloh. Now, just like scripture was clear that Ruvain had sinned, it's pretty clear from a straightforward reading of the Bible that Pinchas and Hophni were sinners as well. For example, the verse says, You make the Lord's people transgress. This is waved off with an argument that the verse can also be read in the singular, referring to only one of the two brothers. And when another part of the verse makes it clear that Both brothers were at fault, the Gemara offers this explanation. Only one of the brothers, Hufni, was the actual sinner. But because the other brothers saw him sinning and did not protest, he was counted by scripture as if he were a sinner too. Now we see the Gemara looping back to our teaching that there are no innocent bystanders and that everyone who fails to protest wrongdoing is counted as being responsible for the transgression even though they did not commit it themselves. So Rabbi Yochanan can be right in a technical sense. Some of these figures may not have sinned, but because they fail to speak out against sin, Scripture treats them as sinners. Before the end of the daf, the Talmud discusses three other major biblical figures, King David, King Solomon, and King Josiah. In the discussion about Josiah, again a claim is made that anyone who says he ever sinned is simply mistaken. But Scripture calls, uh, calls, calls Josiah special precisely because quote, he returned to God with all of his heart. In other words, he did tshuva, he repented. Now, obviously, you can't repent unless you've sinned. And in fact, the final word in the, su- in the sugya is given to Rav, who taught that there was no greater balt tshuva, no greater penitent than Josiah in his generation and a certain person in ours. Who, are, who is that certain person? Well, the Gemara goes on to name two rabbis who were noted for having sinned and repented and adds a third rabbi in the mix for good measure. So the exploration of sin and punishment in our suga concludes with the notion that some of the greatest figures in our tradition did indeed sin, but what makes them great is not their sin, but the fact that they recognized the wrongs they had committed and tried to change their lives. Sin does not cause death, but like death, it comes to every person. And so every person has the chance to achieve greatness through tshuva.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daft Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is "Ufros" from the Epic Chorus album One Beat, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.